0: Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. On this show, we share stories stories of big adventures, stories of big struggles, stories that allow us to share our experiences and to learn from each other. And today's guest is a storyteller. So get your cup of tea or cocoa or coffee and find a warm, comfy blanket and settle in for some stories that teach us a few lessons. are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story Power serves you best when you know how to use it. Samantha Hawkins, author of the children's book, My Mommy Marches, has been a 911 dispatcher for eight years. She's a training officer and instructor with Cobb County 911 in Marietta, Georgia. She's also a public speaker and a storyteller. She was working dispatch during the riots that happened during the Black Lives Matter movement. And she, being a Black woman and a dispatcher and a public servant, It's a unique view from both sides of that story. And I invited her to be a guest on the show today to share some of her own stories and insights with that middle ground that she gets to walk there. So Samantha, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, I am so honored to be here. I mean, I have definitely listened to the show and I love the storytellers you bring on. So to kind of join their ranks and have this opportunity, I'm grateful.
0: Awesome. Well, let's start right in. Tell us your story. What brought you to write The book, My Mommy Marches.
1: Okay, so I have tried my hand at writing many, many years. And for a while, I I freelanced. I used to write for madamenois.com. So I wrote a lot of personal essays and lifestyle essays. But I eventually reached a point in my life where I realized if I have this, I guess you could say gift or what I see as kind of a talent, I need to really be using it in a more meaningful, kind of valuable way. And that's just something that my mother instilled in me. If you have something and you have a gift you believe is God given, how are you going to say at the end of your days that you used it to help people to help others? So yeah, I love I, it. like I said, I
0: <laughs> I do.
1: Yeah, thank you. So I did a lot of freelancing, but eventually I started thinking about writing a children's book, and it had started with an article I read, and it was actually an article about the children's book market in the UK, and it mentioned how back then when that article was written, which was back in like 2021, there was a greater chance of a kid in the UK, Black or brown child, to go into a library or a bookseller and to pick up a book with the face staring back at them being an animal. It was a greater chance at that than to actually pick up a book and see the face staring back be someone that looked like them. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, that's insane. I mean, in, in the US, you know, I'm blessed, we're blessed that We have a children's book market full of these books. And I say that in a good way. It's saturated now, especially now with books on diversity and social issues. And just that every child, every child, every color of the world, every ethnicity, culture can see themselves reflected. So to think that there was in any part of the world, this wasn't happening. I said, well, I've got to do something about it. So I was glad that my choice of a bookseller, my choice of a publisher was Lantana Publishing, who is UK based. And actually yesterday was when My Mommy Marches celebrated its book birthday. It was published in the UK. So it's coming out also to the US March 7th. But yesterday, congratulations.
0: That's awesome. Hey, um, tell everybody really quick what My Mommy Marches is about. Because I wasn't sure when I first heard the title. I'm (laughs) like, oh, I'm so interested to read that. And then I read it, right? It's lovely. Just cute as can be. Yeah, so tell us.
1: So my mommy marches, as is published in UK. My mommy marches in the US. It's basically written from the perspective of a young girl. I thought of it as if if she was looking out her window and she saw her mother marching up and down the street, marching in the sunshine, marching in the snow. Like and I imagine right. <laughs> what was that? I'm sorry. With that's because of my scratchy voice. I am so oh,
0: I am so sorry, all of the listeners. I got a cold today. Right when Samantha, <laughs> and I had to talk. So, oh, I apologize. <laughs> um. So on the picket line, marching on a picket line, right? That's yes, what you're exactly about. right. Okay, that is correct. So she's yes, not just out marching up and down the street for the heck of it. She's in <laughs> a picket line, standing up <laughs> for things that she believes in,
1: and that she wants to create. Change. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Right. Which I figured was, you know, there's many forms of protest, but to me, marching is just the best. There's a unity to it and there's a strength to it and going out and, and making a stand. So kids don't, you know, they don't understand big words like protests or boycotting or anything. But every kid understands what marching is. We learn that as little children, left, sure. right, left, right, up, down. So just to imagine a kid seeing... And a doubt in their life who they love and respect, I use your mother to see her marching and be like, why does mommy march? This is why mommy marched, to make the world a better place. Mm, Love that. So I think
0: part of living our lives intentionally is standing up for what we believe in, right? Whatever that is. And I think that's really what your book is about, that everyone has a different set of beliefs, but we live in America where we all have the freedom of speech at least in theory. And and (laughs) we get to support that for everyone while marching for what we believe in. And maybe marching means not being afraid to share your beliefs,
1: whether it's on social media or wherever marching could mean a lot of things, right? You are so right. And that's why I didn't tie it to a single issue. You read the book, there's no particular issue because the thought process behind it was that any parent could pick up this book and use it to instill in their child, just the concept of whatever it is that's what's right for justice, for truth, whatever cause or belief that's important to you, hopefully at the forefront of it is love towards others, loving our fellow man, fellow woman. So hopefully that's at the forefront, but whatever it is, you could use it to teach your child to march. And, and like you said, It doesn't have to be marching, actual marching, but it's using your body, using your feet, using your hands, more than just your words to say, this is what I stand for. And this is what I believe in.
0: And sometimes that might mean standing up for people who have a difficult time standing up for themselves. You know, I suspect that means a little something different for everybody. But that's the lovely thing about living in America is we have rights and options. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your story with during the riots, working as a dispatcher. And I don't want to spend a lot of time there. I don't want it to be negative, but you have such a oh, yes. unique space of being there and working with you know, law enforcement and at the same time yes. being a black woman, right? So what was that like? What did you notice? And let's tie that into you know, standing up for what we believe in one way or the other.
1: Sure. So during that time, obviously it was pretty tense. 2020 was the really tense racial climate going on. And I was faced with it on on all ends. You come into work, and this is what you hear. And then what I was hearing my own family say, friends say, and what I noticed was there was this consensus that you had to like pick a side. Like you had to choose, you know, as if it was one side or the other. And if you chose one, well, you can't care about the other. And I wasn't hearing so many people express the viewpoint that this isn't a choosing a side kind of issue. This is just choosing you know, right, choosing truth, choosing goodness. So for me, as someone who loves being in 911, loves working for public safety, absolutely supports, you know, my friends and and the people I know in law enforcement, my department who I know is full of good people. And on the other hand, seeing something on the news and being able to look at that and say, well, that's clearly not right. And that clearly shouldn't have happened. So eventually I, I was moved to write an essay Called Bigger Than the Bias, Being a Person of Color in 911, where I shared you know, my viewpoint of being both and kind of the two worlds and how initially I felt like there was this conflict. I eventually figured out it's not a conflict at all. And it shouldn't be for anyone. It's only a conflict when you feel you have to choose, when you make it about colors and I've got to choose this or choose that. Whereas you can be on either side, say, hey, especially as someone in public safety, Support law enforcement. I support my officers. I support dispatch. I support obviously, you know, our, my emergency communications officers and what we do to support public safety. But you can always call a wrong a wrong. But that's not picking a side. That's just standing up and being honest and being fair. And truth be told, some of the best officers I know and best dispatchers I know, they feel that way. And it's not picking a side. It's calling wrong wrong. If you're good. You're good and you're honest and you're just, and you're going to condemn what's not honest and just. And you're going to stand up and say that. So that's the viewpoint that I felt and kind of shared with others.
0: You know, I hadn't really thought about the possibility of not choosing a side, which is really actually super (laughs) interesting because it feels like it's such a divisive topic, but that it really can't just, you know, that there's value and good and on both sides, and there's a space where right is right and wrong is wrong. And that's going to be different for different people too, but (laughs) but I like that, that it's not an either or, that it can be something there. And so My Mommy Marches is is this children's book of teaching them Mm -hmm. to stand up for things that they believe in. And you got to this space through some stories of your own, things that had happened to you to help you understand your own power and embrace your own life. So
1: let's maybe, since you're a storyteller, will you tell us some stories today? I surely can. Yes, I would love to. So One story that immediately comes to mind is my story of kind of sticking to it. So I could talk about sticking to it as a writer, but before I get to that, I'd like to talk about sticking to it and being persevering, even in my job, my main job in dispatch. So I remember probably about three years ago, I had went for a position. I wanted to be a training officer and I had felt like I had poured so much of myself into my work to get this role. I felt I had checked all the boxes that should have been checked. And I remember sitting there, having applied, having put everything out there. And I'm sitting in this office and the training coordinators, the ones who would make the decision, they're looking at me. And the first words out of one of their mouths was, so we had four slots and you scored really high on the application, but you weren't chosen. And I could just remember just feeling like, oh. Just the air leave my body.
0: <laughs>
1: um, it's not like it was the first time in my life I'd ever been rejected, but it's always something when you kind of build in your head that, oh, I can do this. I can do this. Likewise, kind of like being a writer, right? You write something and you're just so convinced, oh, I know this is it. This publisher is going to accept it, and then you get the rejection letter. So I, I was sitting in that office and I heard, oh, no, no. Um, Sorry, actually, you you didn't get this, but try again in a year. You know, don't give up. Try again. And I just sat there and the training coordinator said, Sam, are you okay? Got something to say? I said, no, I'm okay. Thank you. Walked out. And I went home. And the next day I was on Indeed.com scouring the job listings within five to 10 miles from my home because I said, that's it. I'm giving up. I'm giving in. <laughs> it's funny because actually, in in March, not only with my mommy, March is coming out. I have my second chicken soup for the soul story being published, and it, that book uh. is coming out in March, which is the you know the advice that changed you life, changed your life. And the story that I'm mentioning right now is in that book. Oh, congrats! <laughs> so I was ready to go. I was ready to rage quit because I had checked all the boxes that I felt should have impressed others enough to give me this position. My mom asked me, like, what are you doing that morning over breakfast? And I said, well, I'm planning on leaving. That's what I'm doing. And I'm searching for jobs. And I remember her looking me in the eye and saying, now, are you leaving because you feel that it's time for you to leave? Or are you leaving because you got an attitude? You didn't get this position.
0: (laughs) You got some toed, girl.
1: I definitely had some some attitude there. (laughs) Through talking with her, what I I realized was that when you enter a place in your life or a job, right, you kind of want to leave knowing that you've done all that you was meant to do. It's like any place in your life. Sometimes it could be a neighborhood you live in. It could be a, a, a social circle. And sometimes sometimes you're called to leave that neighborhood or that social circle. You're called to move on. But when you can leave with the satisfaction that you accomplished all you were meant to do, that's incredible. And when I really asked myself, did I do all that I wanted to do in this profession in emergency communications? I said, no, I hadn't. I knew the impact I wanted to make. I knew what I wanted to do. So what I decided was, okay, I can't be a training officer in this agency, but if I really wanna train and teach people, I don't need a title that says, I don't need that to be able to, to wear that on my shirt. I can teach without the pay bump, without the specialty title. I wasn't even trying to prove anything to them, the training coordinators. I wanted to prove to myself that it was more than just a position, it was a true passion. So after that, I realized that if I was going to teach and train others, I need to make sure I had quality training and I had, you know, was still learning because the best trainers and teachers are learners, right? So that was the first time that I started looking into going into national conferences. I wanted to go to a national conference for dispatchers. I'd never been. At this point, I now have going on eight years of experience in emergency communications. But at that time when this happened, I was like four and a half years and I'd never been to any kind of conference. So I stumbled across this scholarship opportunity to go to a conference. And I remember it was like at the last minute, a few days before the deadline, I said, hey, what the heck? And I submitted my application and I was selected. I was so, so happy about that. And you know how it all starts sometimes with one thing, right? It's the best kind of snowball. You start with one thing and things just click into place. What's crazy is before I ever even attended my first conference, I spoke virtually at a conference with thousands in attendance. And the person that actually awarded me the scholarship, it was their virtual conference. And again, kind of the last minute, I saw that there was a call for speakers out. This particular conference, it was called uh, Dare to be Great. It's a big virtual conference for emergency communications officers, dispatchers, 911 call takers. And here I am again thinking, heck, I've never even been to a conference myself. But there was a call for speakers out. And I said that I wanted to teach and train. And I thought, well, got a little bit something to share, a little insights. Been doing this job a little minute. So I... I put together a presentation called 10 Things Your 911 Caller Wishes You Understood, which is the reverse of we always want to tell people when you call 911, this is what you need to have in mind. Mm -hmm. It was the reverse of that. As that 911 call taker, that dispatcher, here's what you need to have in mind when your caller calls in. You know what? I love what you
0: did with, um, first of all, just taking what was dealt to you. Like some, we don't have control over all the things that happen. And when they say you didn't, get put into this position to stay where you're at only to make it the best it can possibly be. So make the best of your situation while also taking the moves to increase your own education and experience, moving in a continued move forward toward those goals you originally
1: had. That's brilliant. Love that. Yes, ma'am. And I could end it there because to me, that's a pretty good ending. But fast forward, I've spoken at national conferences, regional conferences, and that position that I was passed over, I ended up getting that training officer position, but I got that. And then it was only about six months later, I was promoted to an administrative position in the training division. Wow. And I remember when I sat down both times, the first time around to, for them to say, Hey, you got this training officer position. They looked at me and said, you know, man, you were the most qualified to get this. And I said to them right in there, because I had a boldness that I didn't have a year ago when I was turned down. I said, I got to be honest with y'all. I'm at a place in my life where I want this. But back then, it was all I, you know, I I was all I could think of that I could get, like that was the best. Now, if I don't get this position, I'm still going to continue teaching and training. I'm doing it nationally and regionally, but I want to do it here at my center as well. You know, I proved something to myself. Yes,
0: absolutely. I think so many of the things we go through are often for us. Like we come to understand who we are. We come to learn about us in the process. And I really Mm. think that what you've hit on here with this example and this story is just super key that you did end up getting what you wanted, but you needed to keep your eye on the prize. You needed to persevere. You needed to keep adding things to your portfolio, which you immediately did. And that's the key. Mm. If you just keep persistently adding to it, you're going to get there. So I think that's a great reminder. I think we probably have time for one more story. How about the power of the
1: word? Oh, yes, yes power of the word. Let's see, where, where do I begin in this? Hmm, This actually also relates to my career and, and my work in public safety. So talking about rejections and getting turned down, this happened before, again, I got my training officer position and then got promoted from training officer to being training technician beneath the training coordinators in our division at my center. So I had applied to a supervisor spot you got to know this happens in between now. I'm starting to do stuff on my own, putting myself out there and everything. So I'm in a better place because that's a big part to this story. I'm in a way better place than again, I was very first time when I was turned down. I'm still trying to check off boxes. What I've realized is you really got to find what fulfills you. Some people are moved by promotions. That is their fulfillment is moving up. And for a while, I thought that was my fulfillment, but it's not. I've realized I would literally or could literally stay in the same position for years if I knew I would have opportunities. Now, if I'm in a position and I'm not getting opportunities to do new things and I don't have the flexibility to do new things, then no, it's not going to keep me. But promotions, raises, new fancier titles doesn't keep me. So much as being in a place where I have opportunities and flexibility. But I was in a better place, but I was still thinking, okay, if I check off these boxes of rising up, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want. So I went for a supervisor position. And I remember sitting there directly across from this individual on our leadership staff, who I have a lot of respect and admiration for. And she gave me her reasons of why I didn't get it. And I was actually okay. But in that moment, she says, Sam, you know, there's a bit of a perception from some on the leadership staff that you're a, a loner. And I, I sat there. Now, you know, in movies, when they have this singular moment and suddenly it goes off, it transitions to something else, it's like 10 minutes later, but it's really all in this one moment, but it just seems like a whole thing played. It was like so much played in my head in that moment. And I remember smiling, maybe a little bit on my face, but more so internally. Because I thought about a word like loner. If I didn't have a solid kind of, I guess, upbringing or the way I was raised to always be settled in myself and comfortable in who I am, it is so easy for a word like loner to get flipped in your head to become loser. There's Mm. honestly nothing wrong with being a loner. But when you're a kid and you're not blessed to have parents or to have a, a network of support, parents or teachers or guardians, if you're not even getting that, guess what in the books you read? Because literature, children's books, it is kids' first glimpses into the world. If you're not getting that, that message from the people around you, the books that surround you, that you are okay, however you are, you would be an adult sitting in an office to hear someone say, you know, people think you're a loner and you would hear a loser in your head. Now I was homeschooled. I was homeschooled by my mother all through grade school, through what would have been my high school years. And then I went to college, went to college and got my bachelor's in a drug addiction counseling. But being homeschooled, I never had to deal so much with peer pressure. And when I was Mm -hmm. around kids, I didn't have to wonder if they thought I was different. I knew I was different. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I knew that it was just, there was differences to me because I got to be in an environment in my home where I got that steady structured curriculum. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was allowed to kind of grow into who I am as a person.
0: That's really lovely.
1: How were you different from the other kids
0: when you say you you knew you were different?
1: (laughs) So one thing about being homeschooled was I've always gotten along better with people older than me. Okay. So I, you know, it was never boring to sit with an elderly person. I could listen to story after story after story. And it wouldn't be, I need to leave because I want, really want to watch this television show that comes on at this time. Oh, well, it's okay. Television show can wait. I was also the kid that used to get in punishment. And literally how I got in trouble all the time was because my mom had a rule of no reading books in bed if you if you feel you're getting tired, you put the book up and then you lay down. sure enough, I would read a book in bed, fall asleep before I'd fall asleep, tuck the book underneath my pillow, and my mom, like clockwork, would come in the morning, she'd look straight under my pillow, and there would be the dictionary or the, the source. She's like, "What are you doing with the family dictionary underneath your pillow?
0: <laughs> could have been a lot worse, man. Could have been a lot worse than that if that's your that's
1: your bad boy move. <laughs> So going back to that moment, that little word, when I heard it, it just was like the power of a word. When you don't have that kind of solidness, word would get flipped to loser, loner would get flipped into this whole nother thing. And you would think like, oh, my gosh, this is what people think about me. But instead, back to that present moment when she said, you know, the perception of you is that you're a bit of a loner. I looked back at her and I said, yeah, I am. <laughs> I am. And then flash forward. I'm in, on the administrative side. <laughs> and it, position, all <laughs> it all worked out fine. It all worked out.
0: No, you know, I think the point of labels is really important mm-hmm. for us to consider because sometimes those words can easily get switched around, not just um, loner yes. and loser, but just words in general, right? Well, one oh, yes. word means to somebody isn't necessarily what it means to somebody else. and And mm-hmm. labels are a hard thing that are just tossed around, but we so internalize those. So I think you know, maybe an important takeaway here is the power of the word, the power of the story we tell about that word. These Mm. are big concepts and personal awareness around those is critically important because let's say somebody does throw out something, you know, you're, you are too intense or you're not friendly enough or, you know, whatever it is, right? I mean, that stuff happens. Everybody has an opinion about everybody else. Um, (laughs) But you as a person get to Take a look at that. Maybe see, is there some helpful information in that that I want to adjust? And if there's not, then I get to ditch that. You know, I'll, yes. I'll take what I can out of it. I'll ditch it. And I'm not going to tell myself a big story about what other people think about me because that's not my problem.
1: You're right? so right. That's a principle that I live by. Anything that someone says, you chew on the meat and you spit out the bones. <laughs> you don't be dismissive. You Sometimes you've got to pause. You can't, if someone says something, you can't just rashly go back and, well, that's not true, or what if it is, you know? You just gotta pause sometimes, think, reflect, take it, take it away. That doesn't mean taking it to heart yet, but you walk away with it and what's good, what's meat, what has substance to it, what you might say, maybe their delivery of it was, hmm, but was this right? Sure, that's the meat, but the stuff that's bones, an opinion, an opinion is an opinion is an opinion. We've all got it. And so you may look and say, all right, that's their opinion. That's their perception. I have my own perception of myself. That's the bones. So you're right. And in the end of the day, what's the story in your head? And how much do you right? let the stories of others <laughs> affect your own story of yourself?
0: <laughs> Amen, sister, for sure. <laughs> what is the story in your head? Be aware of them. Be aware of when you need to change them. If they're not yes. supporting you. That's that's the key to all of this that we talk about all the time. Sam, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your stories and your new book that's coming out. Where do we find the book, My Mommy Marches?
1: Well, you can find it at Amazon.com. You can pre-order it for the U.S. Again, it's already out in the U.K. right now. You could go to LantanaPublishing.com. And it is already out. I'm so excited about it. And March 7th is... That's its book birthday in the United States. So, 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 so overjoyed for it to reach everyone.
0: Right. March is a big month for you. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you for sharing your storytelling and your life lessons. And thank you, dear listener, for being with us today. If you have some stories that you would like to share, I've been thinking of doing an episode on here that's kind of like The Moth, if you're not familiar with that particular um, podcast or program, it's a podcast, but they also do live moth where you go, you pay to go in and everybody gets on stage. It's an open mic and you tell your stories. So if you've ever listened to that, you'll have an idea of what I'm talking about, but I'm thinking that maybe we collect five, 10 minute stories about the events in our lives and maybe do an episode around that. So if you have any of the stories like Samantha has shared today, you can go to Love Your Story podcast website, which is www.loveyourstorypodcast.com. And there's a page in the top menu called Guesting. And go to that link and fill out that form with a subject line of share my story. And it'll come to me and we'll just start collecting those bits. So we'll see you in two weeks for the next great episode. And remember that living intentional is spending enough time with yourself to know what you believe in and what you don't. And it's using your agency and your courage to stand up for those things, to use your freedom of speech to make a difference. Living intentionally takes courage and sometimes a little superhero cape. So do it. You only live once. Be unapologetic about you and allow others to be unapologetic about them. We'll see you in two weeks.